This is Alumni Loud, a podcast by graduate students for graduate students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. I'm Sarah Hildebrand. I'm a PhD candidate in English at the Graduate Center and a fellow in the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. In this episode of Alumni Loud, I interviewed Eric Knudsen, who graduated from our PhD program in Industrial and Organizational Psychology and is now a lead researcher at LinkedIn. He's going to be talking to us about how he uses data to help people find fulfilling work and companies improve their employees' experiences, the importance of following up with employers during the hiring process, and trends in employee burnout connected to the COVID-19 pandemic. So to get us started, Eric, would you mind giving us an overview of LinkedIn's mission and what your role is there? Yeah, sure. First, it's great to be here and I appreciate you um, connecting with me on, on my experience. So yeah, so LinkedIn is a professional social networking platform. A lot of your listeners might have profiles or apply for jobs on LinkedIn. In fact, about three people are hired into new jobs on LinkedIn every minute. So it's quickly becoming a one-stop shop for a lot of job seekers. And more specifically, I work on a LinkedIn product called Glint, which was acquired in 2018. And Glint is a platform that allows companies to use surveys to understand how employees are feeling how the companies can improve their employee experience and then actually take action on those opportunities. So when you look at the vision of these two entities, the LinkedIn vision is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. And uh, Glint's vision is to make people happier and more successful at work. So when you combine these visions quite ambitious, uh, essentially to create happiness, success, and economic opportunity. And we do that, of course, by helping people find fulfilling work that complements their skills and helping companies create fulfilling work experiences by bringing together job needs with candidates who fit those needs. And there's really no one better to do that than LinkedIn with 600 plus million members, and Glint understanding how millions of employees are feeling about their jobs and companies every day. So that's LinkedIn and Glint. And for me specifically, I lead research for the Glint product to help us understand the fulfillment side of this equation. So I leverage hundreds of millions of data points that we've collected on employee experience and conduct research on and explore what the state of that experience is in the global workforce. So are employees feeling connected to their peers? Are they feeling inspired by their company's mission? Do they trust their senior leaders or their peers, their managers? And even more recently, are they feeling burned out as a result of all the changes we've seen in the workforce the last really almost a year now as a result of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So I spent a lot of my time tackling research questions related to these issues. And then sort of lastly, I also think about future opportunities to join Glint and LinkedIn data. So for example, 
what if we could look at the match between your skill set, Sarah, and the typical skills ideal for the job you're in, and then determine how the overlap between the skills you have and the skills you should have or skills you need, how does that gap or overlap impact your experience of that job? Could we help you or your company identify those gaps, recommend any trainings, and hopefully improve the fulfillment you get out of your work? These are the problems we're actually thinking through today and into the future. So that's sort of a long summary of my role and also, you know, the business that I serve. That's great. That's super interesting. And we really do encourage all of our students to have LinkedIn accounts. So it's interesting to hear what's going on in LinkedIn on kind of the back end. So thinking about how you got started in all this, what made you interested in the field of psychology and your particular subfield? And how did you get involved? And I guess we would say like the field of people analytics. Yeah, yeah. So as you highlighted at the beginning, my degree is in industrial organizational psychology or IO psychology for short. And that is the, essentially the application of psychology to workplace problems. So it's not therapy in the workplace, but rather it's a study of human behavior and motivation as it applies to our work. How do we find the right people for the job? How do we motivate and excite them about their work? Unfortunately, even among psychology students today, the mention of IO is still often a footnote or a small paragraph in psych textbooks. So we're still figuring out how to grow our presence and awareness in the broader field of psychology. Yeah, actually, how did you find out about IO psych to begin with? Because I know you have a pretty strong educational background in IO psych. Yeah, so I took my first IO course in undergrad at the University at Albany. But actually, next to courses like abnormal and developmental psychology, which a lot of people think of as more traditional applications of psychology, IO can sometimes seem quite dry when it's right next to those other subdisciplines. You're in college, you probably haven't held a salaried job yet. So it's a little hard to relate to how or why you might want to apply these principles in the workplace. So I actually started at the Grad Center in the school psychology PhD program. And after my first year, I had the opportunity to transfer. And I took that opportunity because I realized after spending some time in that program that a lot of my interests in the field of education were actually organizational in nature. They were more sort of structural and about how the institution of education operates. And then those same interests scale more broadly to workplaces in general and organizations. So I took the leap, uh, switched over to IO. I was also a bit closer to the workforce then and starting to understand how IO could be impactful. Everybody works. We spend about a third of our lives in our jobs. And so it was an exciting prospect to maybe have such an impact through this, at the time, little known field. So yeah, so back in 2012, I switched to the IO program and I never, never looked back. <laughs> That's great. Seems like you found the right path for you. Yeah. So how did you go from grad school to LinkedIn? 
Yeah. So, so I've held a couple of roles during and after my time in grad school. Uh, when I first switched to the IO program, I had started in assistantship at CUNY's central office where I supported a few initiatives for CUNY's teacher education programs. And it was during my years in that job that I started cutting my teeth with data analysis and learning to code my way through those analyses. Coding was not a requirement of the job, but it was a skill I wanted to pick up and I had projects that created the space for me to learn how to do that. So I was fortunate to have that space to do that learning because I realize now as I reflect that it was really pivotal as a launch pad for my analytics skills. Uh, so I was going through grad school in 2015, right after I finished comps. I took my first IO job at JetBlue Airways. And it was at JetBlue that I worked on a team responsible for using data to develop assessments used to hire into their frontline roles. So when you go to the airport and you fly JetBlue, it's likely most of the people you encounter from gate agents to flight attendants, pilots, even the ground operations crew members you see on the tarmac, it's likely all of them took a test developed by that team to get the job. So I spent some time there helping and really learning about the process of building tools that identify the right skills for the job. And one of the most rewarding projects I worked on there uh, which I like to talk about was the launch of a program called Gateway Select. The goal of which was to identify non-obvious but high potential candidates for pilot jobs. So pilots normally put themselves through flight school and then proactively apply to airlines. But some people don't have the means, the money, or the support they need to go this route. They might have grown up watching planes take off and land as a child, but just didn't have the resources to go to flight school. And so my team's work for Gateway Select involved designing a bunch of tests to identify if a person had the fundamental skills to succeed as a pilot, even if they had never sat in a cockpit before. And if they passed those tests and moved through the rest of this rigorous selection process, JetBlue would support them through flight training with the hope that they'll ultimately be able to fly for JetBlue after training. It's a really, really rewarding experience there. After JetBlue, I moved into the tech industry at an HR software company called Namely. And it was there that I got to build an analytics function from the ground up. So I got to do things like improve hiring and performance review processes with data. For example, we started collecting what we call, or what are called quality of hire data, which are basically reflections that managers make on their own hiring decisions. And then we connected that data to things like how the candidate found us, say through our website, LinkedIn, or perhaps they were referred by another employee. And the goal here is of course, to identify key sources of top job candidates so that we can double down on those sources and ensure that we continue hiring the best talent we can find out there. So that was my time at Namely. And then just about a year ago, I moved to LinkedIn to kick off this research work for the Glint Group, 
uh, which I've spoken a bit about already. So that was uh, my journey from really start of grad school to where I am today. That's great. And it's so cool. You're really seeing the behind the scenes of the hiring process. We're all kind of looking at it as job seekers, but you know what the managers are thinking about and how they're kind of selecting candidates. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fascinating both as a job applicant. Of course, I still apply to jobs and go through hiring processes and also, yeah. And also to help design effective hiring processes on the back end. And how did you find some of those jobs? Did you network your way in? Did you have a LinkedIn profile? Did you search job boards? Great question. So most of my professional experience has come to me through my network, which I, I value the people in my professional network immensely. You know, they're people, not just because I like to work with these people and think through problems with these people, but because there's so many wonderful people in the field that I feel like I become a better professional and honestly a better person by keeping in touch with, with these folks, especially during challenging times like now. So it's been a lot of, of leveraging my network. Namely, I, when I went to the company Namely, that was something that I had pursued myself because I was interested in taking a step back and wanting to build an analytics function and analytics processes from the very beginning, from the ground up. And I knew that, that I wanted that experience to help lay the foundation for my later career. So that was something I pursued on my own. But it definitely did come through, some of my experiences come through my network. And I would encourage all graduate students to think about that. Expand your networks outside of just your graduate school colleagues or professors because not only will you learn from these people, but you never know when an opportunity arises that you know, can help elevate your career. That's great advice. Start networking, network early and network broadly so that you can kind of figure out what all is out there and hopefully make yeah. that will help you accomplish what you set out to. Yeah, and, and you know, LinkedIn is a good tool to do that, shameless plug. I strongly encourage something that some people are not super comfortable with, which is basically cold reach outs to people on LinkedIn. That doesn't mean going and connecting with everyone you find, but if you're, if you read about a company or a job somewhere that you thought was really cool, or you want to learn more about, it's always worth trying to reach out, send a message to someone on the team that you read about or so anyone at the company that you read about that might be interested in speaking with you and teaching you a bit more about what they're doing there. You know, even if they don't necessarily have a job posted, number one, you've made a connection. Number two, you've learned a bit more about that thing you thought you were interested in. Maybe you learned it's actually not for you. Maybe you learned it's definitely for you. And you've got nothing to lose. It might be a little uncomfortable being a, approaching a stranger in this way by sending them a message, but uh, and there's, of course, always a chance that they don't respond. Uh, and that's okay. You know, that's part of the, the challenge of these reach outs. But whenever somebody does respond, it's often because they're happy to speak with you and talk about their work. And so there's really nothing to lose. You never know. 
how valuable it could be to connect with someone that you may have no other way of connecting with. What would you say in a LinkedIn message if you're trying to connect with someone? What's the best way to kind of get a response, do you think? Yeah, great question. So, you know, it depends how you, what, what the driver behind your sort of cold email, cold message is. Say you read an article about, or a blog post about the, in my world, maybe the data science team at this company they did something really cool to really impactful to improve the diversity of their hiring pipeline. And the article didn't give you like quite all the detail you wanted. You want it, you really are interested in thinking about this problem, or maybe you're already at a company and you're thinking through that same problem yourself. And you really want to bounce ideas around. You might open up by number one, pointing out that you read about their team or that person or that company in this article, you might link to that articles or blog post so they know where you got that information from. And simply follow up by saying, I'm really, really fascinated in the work that you're doing. It's really cool, really high impact and at a happening at a really important time. I'm thinking through these same problems myself and I would love to spend a little bit of time learning about how, how you approach this problem the obstacles you overcame to get there and just you know approach this approach this method message with an authenticity that i think a lot of people find will find sincere enough to inspire a response you know it's all about genuine interest people can of course sense when you're interested only in a job and that should not be your goal here. Like your, your genuine goal should be, I want to learn more so I can better my own skills or better my own experience. Uh, if something more comes of this, great. But uh, that should not be the top objective of this informational interview request, basically. Yeah, the job might be the ultimate end goal, but it's not where you start with networking. It's just gathering information and seeing if it is something that you're interested in doing and connecting with someone. Yeah, and remember... If I reach out to one person and they're open to speaking with me about how they solve this problem, maybe down the line, I end up in the interview process for somewhere else at a totally different company. And they ask me, how would you think through this problem or how would you tackle this problem? You've now spent some time with another professional who actually tackled that problem. You have an idea to present in that interview that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise have had. And, you know, it's really important to expand the range of ideas that we're exposed to. And these reach outs are a great way to do that. And just remember, like, it benefits you in more ways than one, more ways than just by maybe landing you a job someday. That's helpful. And you just brought up interview processes, which I think is another important thing to cover because a lot of our students are used to thinking about the academic job market and thinking about the timeline of that, which is many, many months, and they're kind of familiar with the different interviews you have to go through. But what happens when you're looking for an industry job? How long did it take you to get jobs, kind of from the application part to interviews to the initial offer? Uh, and what was that like? How many interviews did you have to have? So this will vary widely depending on how well-oiled a company's hiring process is. Some companies are really smooth. They've done this hundreds or thousands of times. And you'll sense that when you're in the process. It's like you always know where you stand in the process. 
you know what the next step is. And then there are companies that are still figuring out what their best process looks like. And that might be a little, might feel a little clumsier as a candidate. You might have to do a little follow-up to ask where you're at or when you can expect to hear about next steps. So a lot of variance there. I would say a typical hiring process for a candidate will be at least a few weeks, especially in the tech industry. You're likely to do multiple rounds of interviews and probably have to complete some sort of applied exercise relevant to the job. So in my case, it has often been some kind of data analysis and maybe a presentation on top of that, of the results. If it's a sales related job, it might just be a presentation or learn about this product and pitch it to us. You can see how that would be relevant for a sales role. And for other, for other jobs, it might be a simple knowledge test that tests your fundamental understanding of some of the basics of the job. So yeah, so these, these tools are called case studies or often work sample tests. And that is likely to come probably midway through the process. Throughout the interviews from beginning to end, you're probably gonna speak with a recruiter, the hiring manager, that's the manager that you'll eventually report to, maybe a peer who is gonna be on your team and possibly someone from an entirely different team sometimes called a cross-functional interview. And your case study or work sample will be sprinkled somewhere in there in the middle. And one thing I'll add on top of that is, while right now I'm sure all these interviews are remote, previously, at some point in the process, you would be brought on site and you would probably have multiple interviews in a single afternoon. So that might be the day that you meet a hiring manager, a cross-functional peer, and then maybe a peer from your team as well. Sometimes the work sample is on site as well. So you can see how there's a range of different experiences and a range of different lengths, but you can reliably expect multiple interviews and possibly that applied exercise. It sounds like a fairly rigorous process. <laughs> yes. Uh, the more rigorous, the better, uh, the more likely the company can ensure that it's the right fit, not just for them, but for the job candidate. And one thing I'll add is sometimes I think people who are just entering industry can feel maybe a little timid about sending follow-ups to ask like, what's next or what can I expect? And there's no harm in ever doing that. In fact, sometimes, sometimes if a candidate falls through the cracks a bit, which they shouldn't, but if they do, the company may not send you or be clear about what the next step is right away. There's no harm in firing off an email after an interview to ask, oh, you know, we didn't talk about next steps. When can I expect to hear from you guys next? That's good advice. Cause I think occasionally there is some ghosting that happens and you just yes. need to follow up a little bit. Yes. And that ghosting happens on both sides of the relationship. I think Unfortunately, employers or the hiring companies who don't have those processes down don't do the right thing and don't, don't update candidates on when they've been removed from the process. 
that's not best practice by any means, but it does happen. And that's why following up is so important. So you can get clarity there. But then ghosting also happens on the candidate's part. If maybe a candidate decided they're no longer interested in the job, it always helps to let the company know so that they don't invest too much time in trying to follow up and pursue you when you know you've moved on. Yeah, it works both ways. <laughs> so if students are interested in applying to jobs either in IO Psych or even at LinkedIn, what are some things that they could do to make their application stand out? Really important stuff. So I could say all of the typical things here, like learn to code, join a research lab, et cetera. But I think there's one really important thing that comes to mind that is a little, I would say even more important and that people think about a little less. So when I've reviewed resumes to hire, I am instantly impressed if you can point me to a place, say online, where you've uploaded personal projects that show your interest in learning about the discipline or people or independent research you've done, say with a data set that you found online. It demonstrates like real authentic passion for the work, you know, that you think about these problems, even when you're sort of sitting around at home. And you can also be crafty about how you gain some of this ex project experience. For example, I like to encourage people and grad students to go find a gig through the Taproot Foundation. I never did this myself, but I wish that I did. Taproot is an organization that connects volunteers like grad students with nonprofits who need help with specific projects in areas like marketing, HR, strategy, finance, technology. And so they'll accept applications from volunteers and you'll get matched up with a nonprofit who has a problem and would love a little bit of your time to think through those problems. It's a great way to build your resume when you feel like it's hard to get people to give you a chance if you don't already have the experience. It's like this cyclical problem, right? Experience begets more experience. If you don't have the experience to start, how do you get someone to take a chance on you? Organizations like the Taproot Foundation are helping volunteers and, other, and grad students do just that. That's really interesting. That sounds like a good organization to get hooked up with. Something very practical that students can kind of work on now. Uh, this is jumping around a little bit, but in your current job, what does a day in the life kind of look like? Do you mostly do the same things every day or do you have a lot of different projects? Yeah, it's different every day or maybe every week, depending on how long a, a specific project takes. There's definitely no typical day. My research will vary depending on importance to not just the business, but importance to the global workforce. So when COVID hit the US back in March, Glint focused a lot of attention on understanding how are the changes we're experiencing at work impact employees? How are those changes affecting employees' daily lives, their experiences of work. And so, you know, if you had asked me in January, February, what I was working on, it was radically different from what I picked up in March, April, and beyond. 
we pivoted immediately to studying employee burnout as a phenomenon because we saw a spike in burnout back in April. So COVID hit in March. Employees over the following month were sent home, different organizations at different times made that decision. And by April, we were all dealing with the changes to our, not just our work lives, but our home lives as well. And so we saw a spike in uh, symptoms of burnout in April that actually subsided a bit over the summer at perhaps as we came into warmer weather and we all felt like we were getting adjusted to work our work from home life. But then more recently, at the end of August, beginning of September, we saw that go up again, quite dramatically, even higher than in April. So what we're actually seeing is burnout tracks pretty closely to the COVID case rate we're seeing at a national level. We've only looked at a national level to date, but it'll be quite interesting if and when we decide to look more regionally and more closely at just how closely tied is the experience of employee burnout to the state of the pandemic in a given place. So this is you know, an example of a, a more recent focus of mine and just how quickly we can pivot from something we were working on before if this issue suddenly becomes important to the workforce. You know, our goal is to educate businesses in the workforce to, uh, or about the goings on in organizations. And so we need to be ready to adapt and our research needs to be ready to adapt as well. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the trends in burnout that are happening due to our current living circumstances. And it's good that someone is researching that because we do need some practical solutions to get out of it. And so all this has been great. You've covered a lot of good stuff for us today. Usually as a final question, we like to ask if you have any last minute advice for current students, whether they're in the psychology program or grad school at large, is there anything you tell them to do now or anything that you wish you'd known at the time? Yeah. So I would say the biggest thing that we know doctoral study especially is, is very theory heavy. And industry is often a little less theory heavy. And so one bit of advice for current students, no matter what field you're in, if you think you might go applied or work in industry is basically for every major theory that you study and learn, I would encourage you to spend a little time writing an elevator pitch for that theory that your parents would understand. So in industry, few people feel they have time to or even want to discuss theory in depth. That's not universally true, but it's often you'll be working with people that haven't studied theory to the depth that you have. And so in some ways you need sometimes like a Trojan horse for theory in your work that is relatable and understandable by both technical and non-technical audiences. And so it pays for every major theory you study to just think about what's my 30 second explainer of this for someone who has no idea what I do for a living because that'll pay dividends later. The second bit of advice is a little silly, but important. And that is to really, really enjoy grad school, the tough moments and the great moments. Build authentic relationships with your peers and your colleagues. 
some of those people will be super important to you down the road, sometimes for your professional well-being, but other times just for your mental and emotional well-being as well. In grad school, you solve problems together with these people that really, like in many cases, no one else in your life will ever understand. And that can be isolating. And so keeping these people in your lives to help think through problems or even just bounce ideas around can be really, really important later in your career. So yeah, so elevator pitches for theories and just build great relationships while you're in school. Yeah, that's great advice. Take advantage of grad school while you're in it. It can be a good thing. For sure, for sure. Well, okay, Eric, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. It was super interesting to hear more about your work and I wanna thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. It was great to, to chat with you. Thanks again to Eric for coming in to talk to us about how he's put his degree in industrial and organizational psychology to work. The Office of Career Planning and Professional Development can help you decide what career path is right for you. Find a list of our upcoming events or make an appointment to speak with one of our career advisors at cuny.is careerplan. You can also follow us on Twitter at careerplangc. Thanks for listening.